0: At Woodside Bible Church, we gather each week to pursue God by studying His Word together. We invite you to join us for our series, Overflow, From Him, Through Us, For All, as we explore Paul's letter to the Church of Corinth. Together, we'll focus our attention on the gifts of God and see that we're not meant to keep His blessings to ourselves, but to live as vessels of His abounding grace. Good morning. It is so great to be here worshiping with all of you today. Um, again, my name is Chris. I'm a part of the teaching team here at Woodside. And so I have the privilege of traveling around to uh, a number of our campuses and, and seeing the different contexts that we get to worship in. And, uh, and it's, it's always such a joy, such a pleasure. Um, I want to begin today by kind of a, a, going through a, a philosophical thought experiment, if you will. I want to ask you a question and maybe you've heard it before, it goes like this. If a tree falls in a forest, and no one is around to hear it, does it make a sound? How many of you have heard this before? Okay, a lot of you, probably most of you. Uh, And this is, of course, normal, because this, this question, this thought experiment has been around for ages. Many people have pondered this question, and in order to answer it, you really have to, to think critically about some things. Specifically, what do we mean when we say, make a sound? Right? That, that's what we're asking here. Because if you're talking about the disturbance of the fluidic medium of air, right? a, a disturbance in, in the air pressure as the cr- tree crashes to the ground because of the gravity, well, then, of course, the answer is yes. Right? Of course the answer is yes. This is quite well understood, uh, independent from any sort of um, person or being there to actually see it or hear it take place. This is, this is physics, right? But if, however, on the other hand, you define sound as the sensation in the ear. When the ossicles in the ear, the tiny bones within your ear and the eardrum are excited By some other medium, whether it's air or anything else that is set into motion, well, then the answer becomes no. It's an interesting question. I want to ask you a similar question today, and that is, how do you know you've received a gift? How do you know you've actually received a gift? Let's let's imagine today, hypothetically, okay, someone gave you a million dollars, Hey, look at those smiles. I love it. Someone gives you a million dollars. How do you know that you have truly received this incredible gift? And to answer that question, we have to clarify, well, what, do we, what does it mean to actually receive it? And I would like to submit to you that in order to actually receive it, you must actually do something with it. Uh, you could go and buy some things, right? A lot of people will go out and do that, maybe for yourselves. Maybe even for others, right? Maybe you're feeling really generous and you're going to share the wealth with your friends and your family. And if you're smart, you will probably invest some of that money as well, right? Expecting some sort of a return. But then as you do these things, as you use this gift, you understand that it will inevitably impact others as well, right? It, it will inevitably impact others. The manufacturer, manufacturer or the the retailer of of whatever you end up buying, they are then blessed by this gift. The friend or family member that you share it with, they become blessed by this incredible gift that you received and you are now doing something with the bank, the, the finance institution that you end up going through for your investments, they are impacted by this. And so you are then impacting the lives of others by actually using, by actually doing something with this incredible gift which you have now actually received. In other words, this generous gift was so great, it didn't just fill up your bank account, right? It didn't just impact you. It couldn't just impact you if you had truly received it. It was going to naturally overflow through you and impact those around you. So let's take this one step further, and let me ask you this. How do you know you have actually received... God's gift of grace. How do you know you've received God's gift of grace? Today, we're beginning a new series called Overflow. From him, through us, to all. And we're going to be studying two important chapters from uh, a letter that the Apostle Paul writes to the church in Corinth. And it's known in our Bibles as 2 Corinthians. So if you haven't already, would you please join me there? Uh, Find yourselves in your Bibles or your Bible apps, uh, feel free to fire those up, and get to 2 Corinthians chapter 8. 2 Corinthians chapter 8. And while you find your place there, I just want to give you a little bit of background, um, a little bit of context just to help you understand what all is going on here, what is happening. And the first thing I want to point out is that one of Paul's main objectives on his third missionary journey was actually to collect a financial offering for the church in Jerusalem, right? for for the mother church uh, back home. And it was sort of like foreign missions, but in reverse, right? So this is where all all of the churches who are then scattered across the mission field are taking up an offering in order to care for the original group. And it's because the first century church that was in Jerusalem was now experiencing a great deal of persecution. Uh, They were experiencing a very... Uh, financial hardship. Um, The market had turned, apparently, and so Paul is, is taking up this offering for them almost everywhere he goes. I'd never really realized that before, but he would explain to the Gentiles on his missionary journeys that they are receiving the good news of the gospel because of the sacrifices of the church back home in Jerusalem. Okay, And so therefore, as recipients of salvation in Christ Jesus, these Gentiles were then in some way indebted to the church in Jerusalem, the place where it all started and which was now suffering because of it. So for instance, we read about this in Romans 15, uh, verses 25 and 27. Paul says, at present, however, I am going to Jerusalem, bringing aid to the saints For Macedonia and Achaia have been pleased to make some contribution for the poor among the saints in Jerusalem. For they were pleased to do it, and indeed they owe it to them. For if the Gentiles have come to share in their spiritual blessings, they ought also to be of service to them in material blessings. In other words, the Gentiles have been blessed spiritually. Spiritually. By those who were sent out from the church in Jerusalem, and therefore they should then bless those in need at the church in Jerusalem financially. That was the expectation that the Apostle Paul had while he was on these missionary journeys. But the second thing I want to point out is that the church in Corinth was not doing their part in this, in this giving. Um, So Paul is going to explain that. This is another area where the, the Corinthian church needs to grow in grace because their view of money and possessions was wrong. Uh, it was corrupt. It was not biblical. It was not gospel-oriented. It was not Jesus-centered. And part of this had to do with, with the culture, uh, the way that their culture dealt with money. See, we're lucky enough here to have two things in place that they just didn't have. We, we have banks and institutions that will lend us money if we need it. And we also have a social security system in place, right? This kind of safety net within our government. They had none of these things. And so if you fell on hard times, if things didn't go as expected, you had to present yourself to a wealthy, affluent individual and present your case. You had to plead for their help. And if they agreed to help you, the person that helped you became your benefactor and you became their beneficiary, right? And so it was, they were the one who was giving and you were the one taking. You were the one just getting from them. And so it was expected that as the beneficiary from this benefactor, you would go around saying, isn't he great? Oh, he's such a great guy. Can you believe he helped me? I was, I was in trouble, I was in need and he helped me. And it could be very humiliating, right? As you walked around and you had to, you owed this to the benefactor. And so this is very much a superior-inferior relationship, right? Where, Where they are the giver and you are the taker. And Paul understood all of this in their culture. And that's part of the reason that we read back in 1 Corinthians, Paul's first letter to them, that Paul didn't take any kind of salary from the Corinthian church while he was there. Right? Because he didn't want them to think of him in that way. Right, That, that, that they are the ones paying his bills. That they are the, the benefactor and he's just the mere beneficiary of their help. That they are superior and he is inferior. So therefore they could tell him what he could preach. How he could go about in his ministry. Paul says that is toxic. That is not the relationship that I want to have with you in the church. And so instead he went out and he got a job. And he paid his own way, making tents. Why? Because their understanding of money was corrupt. It hindered them. Okay, so that's the background, right, leading into this. And so let's read this passage together, 2 Corinthians chapter 8, starting in verse 1. Paul says, We want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia, Accordingly, we urge Titus that as he had started, so that he could complete among you this act of grace. So, do you see how Paul masterfully addresses this issue here? Right? He says, don't look down on the church in Jerusalem as if, you know, you are the benefactor and and they are your beneficiaries. As if you are somehow superior to them because of how well off you are doing and they are inferior for being so poor and needing help. Because the truth is this. God is the benefactor, and we all are his beneficiaries. So, Paul takes them from feeling superior in their giving to being humble recipients of God's giving. Because if they can get a hold of that, right, if they can wrap their minds around the idea that everything they have is a generous gift of God's grace in their life, then it will free up their hearts and their hands. In order to give generously. Because grace received is grace given. And that's the answer to our question. How do we know that we have truly received God's grace in our lives? When we actually do something with it. And there are three specific ways that this grace works itself out in our lives. And the first is this. When grace overflows regardless of circumstances. We know this grace is working itself out in our lives. We truly received it when grace overflows in our lives regardless of our circumstances. Let's look back at verses 1 and 2. Paul says, We want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. For in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed into a wealth of generosity on their part. And so here's where Paul draws their attention to the saints uh, in the sister churches of the region of Macedonia. And Macedonia is located geographically north of Corinth, and it would have included cities that you're familiar with, like Philippi, Thessalonica, Berea. And, And Paul uses a couple of key phrases here to describe the churches of Macedonia. First, he says they are experiencing a severe test of affliction. A severe test of affliction. Today, uh, we might describe that as feeling like we are being crushed by life itself. By life's circumstances. The idea of most commentators is that because of the Macedonians' faith in Christ, they were ostracized from the Jewish community at large. Uh, They were not only mocked and ridiculed for their faith, but they were actually kicked out of the trade guilds of the time, which meant they had no jobs, no income, no income, and so that leads to the next key phrase that Paul uses in describing their situation, and that is extreme poverty. This is not just being poor. <laughs> I mean, in America, we think we're poor if our credit cards are maxed out, or, or if we can't afford to go out to dinner, or if maybe we have to, God forbid, cancel our Netflix or Disney Plus subscriptions. Right? That, that is not what we're talking about here. The, the Greek word... Uh, that's translated extreme poverty is the word bathos. And it's, just to give you an idea, it's where we get the word bathysphere. Now, I had no idea what this was. I brought a picture of it so you can see it. Uh, a bathysphere is a sphere. Uh, it's a circular vessel that you put, you can put a camera in it, or you can even put a person down inside one of these things, right? But it is designed, it is made to be lowered down deep into the depths of the ocean for documentation and exploration and all kinds of things, right? But that is the kind of deep, extreme poverty that is being described here. They are desperately poor and destitute. And so this is the picture that Paul paints for us to describe what the um, churches in Macedonia were going through, what they were experiencing, what their circumstances we're like, and maybe some of you can relate to this, right? Maybe you're, you're here and you're thinking, severe affliction? <laughs> yeah, I got that. I have been going through the most difficult time of my life over the last year, year and a half. It, it feels like everything is against me, like one thing after another. It feels like I am being crushed by the circumstances of life itself. Hey, extreme poverty, check that one off too. This whole COVID thing, it's absolutely ruined me financially. My business, gone. My job, gone. I've run through my savings. I am constantly struggling just to make ends meet. And when you put these things together, these are an awful set of circumstances They they can leave you feeling down and discouraged, hurting, and utterly hopeless. And that's exactly why the other phrases that Paul uses to describe the Macedonian churches seems completely out of place. Like it does not belong in this passage. Because while all of this is going on, Paul says they had what? An abundance of joy, which overflowed into a wealth of generosity. I mean seriously, how do you get an abundance of joy and generosity when you are facing an abundance of affliction and poverty? It doesn't make sense. One word. Grace. God's grace. It was because of God's grace in their lives, a grace which was evidenced in their lives as a joy that welled up deep inside of them despite their circumstances, despite everything that was going on around them. In fact, it was almost certainly because of their poor circumstances, causing them to lean on the Lord more and more, to experience more and more of God's grace in their lives. And that grace resulted in a great joy that overflowed from their lives to the churches in Jerusalem with generous and abundant giving despite their suffering and poverty. And isn't that how the grace of God comes to us? Despite severe affliction and extreme poverty. Those are the circumstances. I mean, you understand Jesus didn't secure our salvation in comfort, in luxury, in ease, and in wealth, right? No, he humbled himself. He, he took on flesh, becoming man, and ultimately he gave his life on the cross. Why? Why would Jesus willingly experience such extreme pain and suffering, the most terrible of circumstances? Because since the fall of mankind, humanity's circumstances at large seemed utterly hopeless. Because what the Bible tells us is that no one is righteous. No, not one. And the wages of sin is death. And we understand what a wage is, right? It's it's what we earn. It's what's fair. It's what we deserve. And we had racked up a debt that was so egregious so enormous that we could never, ever pay it back ourselves. We were doomed for damnation. But because of our terrible circumstances and because of his great love for us, God sent his one and only Son to become the benefactor so that at his cost, the debt of our sins against God was completely satisfied. And now you can have joy unspeakable. Now you can experience uh, peace and assurance even in the worst of circumstances because of the grace that was poured out and overflowed to you through the person and work of Jesus. That is what biblical, gospel-oriented, Jesus-centered giving looks like. But often, when we think about generosity and giving, we we tend to get the shoe on the wrong foot, (laughs) right? Because what do we do? We we tend to believe that our generosity is dependent on our circumstances, right? So we modulate that generosity based on how good or how bad things might be going. If it's a good day, right? If the sun is shining, if we're doing well, well, then, hey, we might be pretty generous people. (laughs) But if it's a bad day, If things aren't going so well, if we didn't get the raise or the stimulus check or the tax refund or whatever else it might be, we tend to withhold generosity from others. But when we see the true nature of grace, and when we have truly received that grace abundantly from God, then it will begin to not only fill us but overflow from our lives regardless of the circumstances. Because grace received is grace given. So we know that we have truly received God's grace in our lives when grace overflows regardless of our circumstances, but then also when grace overflows beyond its limitations. We know this when grace overflows beyond its limitations. Let's look at verses 3 and 4 again. Paul says, for, speaking of the churches in Macedonia, for they gave according to their means, as I can testify... And beyond their means of their own accord, begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. And so now, Paul continues to elaborate and explain what God's grace did in the lives of the Macedonian church here. And what we see is that their attitude of generosity turned into the action of giving in two specific ways. First, they gave according to their means. Uh, or, according to their ability, they gave what they were reasonably able to, and that answers a question that that people ask us all the time, and that is, how much am I supposed to give? right Hey, g- give me a number. G- give me a percentage here, all right? I want to check it off the list. It, that is an Old Testament way of giving, you understand the The New Testament does not command us to give. Any sort of fixed amount. And so then, how are we to give? You give according to your heart before the Lord in relationship to Him, and you give according to what you have, according to what you have already been blessed with. And so the Bible absolutely calls us to give, but we are called to give proportionally. And so, when Paul looks at the churches in Macedonia facing severe affliction, extreme poverty, It actually implies that he was going to give them an exception on this, right? That he looks at them and he says, you know what? Your circumstances, you you don't have hardly anything. You don't need to give. Don't, Don't worry about giving to the church in Jerusalem because they had so little. But what happens? They insist on it. Not because Paul guilted them. or even persuaded them that they should do this. No, it was a willing giving of their own accord. In fact, it says they begged him earnestly, please, don't rob us of the gift of giving, the joy of giving. So this actually moves them into another category of giving, because while we should always give proportionally, according to what the Lord has already blessed us with, there are some times when we are called to give above and beyond that amount, right? And so as far as that goes, I I can't tell you when that is. Uh, That is something that is completely between you and God. But I can point you to to verses like 2 Corinthians 9, which we'll actually look at a little closer later on in this series. It says, let each one give as he purposes in his heart, right? So, So the Lord may lay something on your heart, specifically uh, for a a project, a a specific need within the church, and you find yourself thinking, okay, this is going to cost me. This is going to stretch me. But I am going to give first, according to my ability, what is reasonable to the Lord, and then I'm going to give above and beyond that as the Lord leads me. And in verse 4, we find out why. Because it says they were begging earnestly for the favor of taking part. And that, that word that, that's translated favor here in our passage, it's actually the same Greek word that Paul has been using, and it's been translated as grace. So there's a little bit of a wordplay taking place here. Essentially, what Paul is saying is that having received God's grace, the churches in Macedonia were then eager to demonstrate God's grace, By taking part in the relief of the saints, because it would be God's grace overflowing through them and onto others. But it's not about how much you're giving, right? It's not about a certain numerical value, it's not about a percentage, because godly, grace filled, generous giving is a heart issue. And so, if you remember, there's a time when Jesus is watching people in the temple give. And the wealthy would give in a, in a certain kind of way. It was very loud. It was very showy. So they would come and, and they'd get their coin purses out and they'd say, I'm giving to the Lord. And they'd walk over and they'd start flinging them in there one by one. Clink, 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 clink. Hey, still giving. <laughs> clink, 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 clink. Whoa, that was about 10%. Giving more. Tink, clink, clink clink, clink. It was all for show. And they would never miss the amount that they gave. They would give a lot. Don't hear me wrong. They would give a lot of money, but they would never miss it in comparison to what they had. And so Jesus sees this, and then in contrast, he sees a widow who by comparison gives hardly anything, less than a penny. And so as far as numbers go, she didn't give much at all. It it wasn't anyone, nobody would look at her and, and say that was certainly a reasonable amount in their eyes. But she actually gave above and beyond her ability. So Jesus puts it this way. He says, She put in more than all of them. For these out of their abundance gave to God, but she out of her poverty put in everything. And in a similar way, that's how the Macedonian churches were giving, right? They, they They didn't just want to be recipients of God's grace. They wanted to be representatives of God's grace to others. And so they gave according to their ability, consistently, and they gave above and beyond their ability as the Lord led them to. And as a response to the gospel, we are called to do the same. At Woodside, we try to make this as easy as possible, right? Uh, One of the best things that that we ever did in my family was by setting up automatic giving. (laughs) Because we would find ourselves in a situation where we'd come into church, and we'd be worshiping, and we'd be in this great moment, and then all of a sudden it was offering, and it was like, wait, where's the checkbook? Uh, Did you bring any cash today? No, I didn't bring any cash today. And and then the moment was gone, and we'd say, you know what, we'll get them after church, or we'll get them next week and the moments just passed, and we'd forget. And so now, every week, it comes out automatically. It's scheduled, and it's a very easy way for us to give regularly, routinely, to commit to that kind of giving. And then, when the Lord leads us, we can give more than that. We can give above and beyond that. You know, sometimes we have baskets out here and we tell you that these are specifically for missionaries or Christmas or student ministry and there are specific causes that you might want to give to. But we try to make this as easy as possible. The question is, what stops us? What prevents us from being generous givers in the kingdom of God? There's a lot of answers we could possibly give to that, but... I think it all comes down to our perspective, right? Because if it's my money, if, if it's my stuff, then I'm not obligated to share it with anyone. But if we have already inherited riches beyond our wildest dreams, because we have received the gift of In the grace of the gospel of salvation in Jesus. And we recognize that everything that we now have in this world is also a generous gift of God's grace and favor in our lives. And it means the house, the car, the clothes, the electronics, the money. All of it is God's. And therefore, we are not owners of these things. We are stewards of them. They don't belong to us. They belong to God but he generously gives them to us so that we can be generous in our giving to others. We are blessed to be a blessing. Grace received is grace given. And so we know that we have truly received the grace of God in our lives when grace overflows regardless of our circumstances, when grace overflows beyond its limitations, and then finally when grace overflows as a giving of yourself. When God's grace overflows in your lives as a giving of yourself. Let's look at verses five and six together. Paul says, In this, not as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord and then by the will of God to us. Accordingly, we urged Titus that as he started, so he should complete among you this act of grace. And so now Paul shares his insight as to why we are able or why they were able to give so freely, so generously of themselves, is because their giving was not limited to money. Instead, they gave themselves. In two ways, right? First, they gave themselves to the Lord, right? They had dedicated their lives to the love and the service of God, and so they gave themselves vertically in relationship to God the Father, and then by the will of God, They also gave themselves horizontally in love and service to one another. See, their financial giving, it was just the tip of the iceberg. It was just one manifestation of a deeper giving of themselves, their whole self to the Lord, to his cause, for his glory, whatever it would take. And of course, this is exactly the kind of generous grace that we see modeled in Jesus. Because he didn't send a cash gift to alleviate our troubles. Jesus didn't send a surrogate in order to take care of our need, to deal with it. No. What did he give? He gave himself. He gave himself first to God the Father and then by the will of God to the church. To do what? To wash stinky, dirty feet. To be, not to be served, but to actually serve and to give, to give his life as a ransom for many. And that's the kind of love and devotion that was being modeled uh, by the Macedonian churches, that they embodied this cruciform love and giving of themselves. It was a beautiful picture, a powerful example of God's grace overflowing in their lives. And that is a God thing, you understand. Right? You can't manufacture that. You, you can't stir up within you, grinch your teeth, and just try harder to live like that. It doesn't work. You will wind up frustrated. Uh, you, you'll, find you'll wind up exhausted uh, and utterly defeated by trying to do this in your own strength, in your own power, in your own ability. But God can do what you can't. God can do the impossible, the supernatural in your life when you give yourself to him, first and foremost. And one way we describe this is with the three T's, right? Time, talent, and treasure. Uh, We give of these things to God, right? First and foremost in our lives, when it comes to our time, we engage in the spiritual disciplines. We're reading and studying the Bible, um, we confess our sins. We are involved in prayer and fasting. We gather together for worship. These things are important for our spiritual growth, but they take time. And they're what we call uh, the ordinary means of God's grace in our lives. Right? In other words, that God uses these ordinary things in order to do the extraordinary in our lives, helping us grow and mature in our faith. And so we give of our time to God, and we give of our, our talents, too. We, we volunteer for kids' ministry, for the worship team, for, for tech and security and, and media and, and missions and, and all kinds of opportunities that, that are presented before us. Wherever we have been gifted, we want to use those talents and those abilities to serve the Lord. And so we give of our time, we give of our talents, and yes, we even give of our treasure, Right? We, we give financially to support the church uh, and those in need all around the world. All around the world. And, and here's what I want you to see. When you dedicate your life to the Lord, right? when you participate, when you are actively engaged in the kingdom by giving of your time and your talent and your treasures to God, it will also be a blessing to those around you. It will overflow out of your life to those around you. When you serve in the church, yes, you're doing it for God, but it will also be a blessing to your brothers and sisters in Christ. When you use your talents and your abilities, yes, you do it for God, but it is also a blessing to anyone and everyone who gets to witness you using those talents and abilities. When you give of your money, yes, you do it for God, but it can also be an incredible blessing for those who are hurting and in need. And you should know that when you give financially here at Woodside, a portion of that money will go to the local ministry here, right? But some of that money will then also go toward funding missions all across the globe. Whether it's in Burma, Rome, the Ukraine, India, Liberia, or Thailand, when you give of yourself the way the Lord calls you to give, listen to this, you become the ordinary means by which God can do the extraordinary in the lives of others. And it's an incredible blessing. An incredible blessing. We are blessed to be a blessing. Grace received is grace given. And I think that's what Paul has in mind when he says in Romans 12.1, Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy And pleasing to God that this is your true and proper worship. Unfortunately, the Corinthian church was sorely lacking in this area. And that's why Paul says they urged Titus to bring to completion what? This act of grace. And that's our prayer for you here at Woodside. That God would continue to bless you with his grace. But that as he is so faithful to give to you and to us, that we would continue to grow in this grace. That we would continue to grow to be generous givers. So that like the Macedonian churches, we would not just be recipients of God's grace in our lives, but that we could be representatives of his grace to all those around us. With a supernatural grace that overflows from our lives, Regardless of our circumstances, beyond our limitations, as we give our very lives as living sacrifices to the Lord. And would you join me in prayer? Heavenly Father, God, we thank you for the gift of your word today. It is one that reminds us of your incredible grace and generosity to all of us. You you are so good. You've been nothing but faithful to us. But Father, we confess that it's all too easy for us to grab hold of the things of this world with tightly clenched fists, not wanting to give them up, instead of holding on to them loosely, with open hands, ready, and even looking forward to the opportunity of generously blessing others in your name. Forgive us, we pray. God, would you stretch us? Would you mold us as your people? Would you sanctify us, make us more like Jesus in the ways that we give? Father, would you do a supernatural work in our hearts today? Remove the pride, the selfishness, and the greed of sin that prevents us from walking in this incredible grace. Empower us with your spirit so that we might live as gracious and generous people representing you and your kingdom well so that all you've blessed us with can actually begin to flow through us to those around us for your glory. It's in the name of Jesus. And by the power of the spirit, we pray these things today. Thank you for joining us as we study God's word together. We would love to hear how God is moving in your heart and get you connected into the Woodside Bible Church family. Head to woodsidebible.org connect to introduce yourself today.